Welcome back to Pricking the Bubble. This is Mike the Llama coming at you from, I don't know what room this is, but I'm coming at you from this room. And I'd like to say hello to our usual guest, Dr. Brant Raven. How are you doing? Hey, where? what do you mean usual guest? I am, aren't I the special Sorry, guest? Sorry, our anymore? special guest, yes. Special, very special perpetual guest. Correct. Thank you. Yes. I'm yes. very well, Mike the Llama. Another week in lockdown. The joy yes. just keeps on giving, let that's, me tell you. That's right. It's like a – no, I won't say that. All right, so uh, we, our other special – not a special, but spe- – no offence – guest is Audio Peter. How are you doing over there? I'm doing really well, Mike the Llama. How are you going? I'm excellent. And how are you – the good doctor. Uh, I'm I'm well, thank you, Audio Pete. Can't have an any audio without a Pete. <laughs> what a load of crap! All right, now today, guys, we have two special guests, Ooh. and one of them is honourable. That's right. In fact, they're probably <laughs> they're probably both honourable, but let's just say one of them is honourable. So, I'll, I'll, in no particular order, I'd like to say welcome to Mr. Rob Mitchell, the member for McEwen in our federal parliament. Rob, how are you doing? Going well, thank you. And I think honourable is a very loose term. but I was using it loosely. That's okay. <laughs> it's probably earned it more than I have. Very good. No, I, I make no judgments. And our other honourable guest, it's, a, it's sounding sort of Japanese anyway, our other honourable guest is Margaret. I can see up there. How are you doing, Margaret? I'm doing very well for this Sunday morning, yes. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, we won't tell you what time we started this morning, but anyway... Now, today... So, before you I, go on, before oh you God, start jumping started. into it, yeah, yes. you might want to, you might want to, uh, because we've got an in- international listeners, or should I say listener, listener yeah. right, um, <laughs> you you should probably explain what honourable means and what member of parliament means. I mean, just give a brief... English is what you're saying. I need to explain some English. Well, I mean, you know, political systems around the world are not the same. You need That's to true. at least spend 30 seconds. 30 seconds? God. All right, here we go. Well, we, do you want Rob to explain what yeah, it maybe means? Rob, maybe Rob is in the best position to do that. <laughs> yep. Go for it. Someone that voted to get rid of them in the state government, um, they are an, an old throwback from the Westminster system in England where it became an honorific title for a certain class of people. And originally it was given to those wealthy landowners in the Legislative Council, but um, we, in the 1950s, that got changed and we all got it. So we got the honourable title and um, yeah, some wear it better than others, I might add. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but Rob, because we've got a lot of listeners in the US, what, yep. what would your US oh, what's the equivalent position be? Congressman and Deputy Speaker of the House. Got it. Okay. Thank you. So for all our uh, wonderful listeners in the US, haven't we done well to get this guy? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Back to you, Michael Lama. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. And Margaret, give us a a quick summary of uh, your – why you're (laughs) honourable. Well, I'm honourable – I guess I'm a teacher and I've been doing lockdown for the last two years, running virtual classes and having to pivot at sometimes an afternoon's notice. Mm. Like literally we get an email at four o'clock saying we're going into lockdown and you need to fix everything up for your classes tomorrow. Um, It's been an interesting landscape to work in. Mm. Can't even imagine. I did. I didn't learn this stuff when I did my teaching degree. So no, that's right. That's right. That's that's uh, class was overlooked. I suspect. Wow. Now, I wanted just before we get into the actual topic, I just wanted to uh, quickly. I'm never going to get a chance to ask because I haven't heard before. But Deputy Speaker of the House, Rob, just tell us what what's other than sitting in the chair and shaking your fist at a few people, which is what most people would say. What sort of um, duties? are you having to do on a, on a regular basis because of that role? Um, I guess the main thing, we do a lot of care and talking to people, but also getting people to understand just the, the rules, the regulations, the nuances that we have in Parliament when we're dealing with things and how the, the rules work. The main thing, of course, is to make sure that legislation goes through and then also working very closely with the Speaker. We're on those committees that do with Security and, and house inspector and those sort of things. So a lot of administrative roles around what's happening in Parliament. 
those sort of things um, that we get involved in on a day-to-day -day basis. But most of the time it's sitting in a chair for an hour and just uh, trying to keep order in a place where you've got a room with 151 excessive egos. <laughs> yes, yes. That sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. Sounds oh, great. It is fun. Oh, there's a lot of stuff that you miss out on with the conversations across the chamber and the, the gentle ribbing that happens. But well, That's the stuff I want to hear, but they don't. They, the, the speaker keeps saying, order, order, trying to shut them up. I want to hear that stuff. Yeah, he doesn't like it too much, but that's life. You know, mm. it's a bit of fun and enjoyment when you're sitting there for 12 hours a day listening to people pontificate. Oh, my God, it sounds like my ideal job. <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting down and shaking your fist at people. Yeah. Great. I, I do it anyway at work, but anyway. Well, it's not much different to teaching. It's much the same. Well, you are a classroom of people. On and door you're speaking next and you've got to do it from your position and make sure legislation is properly properly done by the Westminster system and ensuring that it's all done legally to get it through. Sometimes that can be like herding cats. Yeah, so it's a bit like teaching, is it? Oh, Margaret, sounds like you. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So what I wanted to talk about today is, and the, you guys may be wondering what some of the links are we have here, but... Um, uh, I know that Rob has a, a special sort of passion in part of the, the work that he does um, relating to the hi history in his family. Uh, his brother Jason passed away and it was when he was about 29, I believe, from, is it Marfan syndrome? Yes, Marfan syndrome, yep. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what that is, uh, Rob, just to give us a background? I could talk about it, but I'd be waffling a load of bollocks, so maybe it would be good coming straight from you. Oh, not much different. Look, Marfan... <laughs> is a genetic disorder that is uh, connective tissue is the short answer. And my brother was 29 and he passed from it. And usually the way you find out about Marfan syndrome without genetic screening and testing that we have now is mm. autopsy, which is generally right. And there's a whole range of things that, that you can notice on people. Generally, they've got long arms and fingers and legs, very tall, skinny, Retina detachment is something that's very common in it, but the one that's the the most serious condition is aortic. Mm. And if you think of your arteries as being slightly elastic, so when your heart pumps, they flex a bit to allow the, the blood to flow through. With um, the missing gene, the they don't have that movement in them, and they just generally can just pop, and that's. Literally what happened with my brother is he went to get up off the chair and he had a, an aortic dissection and he died there and then on the spot. Wow. Mm. My father went and had his aorta replaced within a couple of months. My sisters had it done. Two of my nephews have both got it. And I always wondered why I'm the black sheep of the family, but I'm the only one that seems to have skipped it. So I've been uh, pretty lucky there. So, so, so let, so let me right. get this straight. He, he, he was sitting down, and th this is your, your brother, right? Yep. Yep, so he was sitting down like normal day, everything's happening fine, just gets up out of a chair, and his aorta detached? Yeah, it ruptured. It had a 6.1-centimeter tear wow. uh, on his ascending aorta. And Jeez. It, the, the only thing was a couple of days earlier that he felt like was getting a cold. You know, whether that was a sign, I'm not sure. Um, my cousin, Sean, passed away two years ago. He was feeling sick in the stomach. And he went to the hospital and was sitting in the hospital and similar circumstances, got up to go to the toilet and he's descending aorta rupture and he died there and then on the spot. Jeez. And, yeah, it, it's not a nice thing. Um, I could just say, without being flippant, I, it might be good that you got this job where you have to sit in a chair and you don't actually have to get up. So maybe that's probably a a good. Well, I mean, you, you're not the one who carries the gene, or do you still carry the gene? How, no, how I don't. Yeah, so the US have been at the forefront of this by testing bicycles um, because they're tall, skinny, and and the the sort of the work that gets pressure cardio system. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's one thing that um, my nephews in particular have been stopped is they can't play sport because of the the, the impact of, of Marfan. So, you know, oh, um, that's in, so that's interesting. How does how does them playing sport? So yeah. so what, why are they pressure? I would have thought on it, isn't it? The... Yeah. 
Well, it's, it's two things. One is the pressure it puts the cardiac system in a game like basketball, but also mm. in other contact sports, the sudden hit, the jolt, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Lodge the the root of the aorta, the aorta from the heart. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Makes sense. Retina detached. And, and it's it's a if you said it's a muscular thing. Is that what it is? It's a. It's a connective connective tissue. So, Rob, is there is there a is there a genetic deletion associated with this at all, or can it only be tested through you know ultrasound and ECGs and all of that sort of stuff? Well, that's all we're getting at the moment. But there is more and more tests being done. And Royal Melbourne Hospital does some great work with their US counterparts developing a, a better test. Um, what's what you've got? Uh, there's a TGF beta receptor, which is being looked at, and that's an option. My friend called Lois Deutz D I E T Z syndrome. Oh. So that's another disorder that's a connective um, tissue disorder that is also a big issue with um, aortic aneurysms. Yeah. But if I was to say 10 years ago, um, if I went to the average GP, not many of them knew about it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the challenges I had was through the Marfan Association, ensuring every GP that in the electorate was given a book and a CD to understand it. When we got the phone call from my son's paediatrician to tell us that he had Phila McDermott syndrome, um, the paediatrician was actually a little bit excited um, because he was right. a bit of a, a bit of a unicorn. Well, <laughs> that's a good that's a good. Before you continue, it's a good way to, to bring Margaret in, I guess, as a, as another player, so to speak. Do you want to tell us about your um, your similar situation, I guess, with a genetic issue? Um, yeah, I guess it, it sounds a little bit different because it sounds as if Jason was was probably living a a normal life. Does that make sense, Rob? Have I got that correct? Yeah, he was working and he had relationships and he could communicate. Yep, there was absolutely yep. no indication. Yeah, so it's a little bit different with us. Um, Nicholas uh, ticked all the boxes when he was born, and by the time he got to two years old, he was running behind. Um, in terms of um, ticking the developmental boxes, we had our maternal health nurse visit and he failed the Brigance test, um, which apparently is a really hard thing to fail. So go, Nicholas. And then basically that took us to a paediatrician and he got tested and he was initially diagnosed with autism traits, which meant that we got access to early intervention autism funding. And we spent the next year doing a whole lot of um, intervention, speech, occupational therapy, but they didn't actually allow him to progress all that far. And then we got genetic tested. So uh, basically the whole, the whole family got genetic tested and we found out he had Phila McDermott syndrome, which is a genetic deletion on the 22nd chromosome, so 22Q13. And the significant part of the deletion is that he has shank three missing. And shank three is the protein that we need for long-term memory and speech. Mm. So he is intellectually disabled. He um, is eight, He is 10 years old and he's running at about 18 months. So it's a bit of a different, a bit of a, a different um, scenario, I guess. But, you know, you know, with your, your brother Jason having a number of, of physical traits, Nicholas has got some strange physical traits like um, really long eyelashes. He's got lovely eyelashes. <laughs> lovely eyelashes. Um, and also... Why is, that a, uh, why is that a trait? That's an interesting one. I don't, I don't know. It's one of the things that they've picked up with the, with the research team. He's also got digits which are joined up to the first joint as well on his toes, and that's another trait, and a high pain threshold. Uh, which means that he can bump into the corner corner wall and have blood running down his face, but he'll still continue to to play. Um, so that's the wow. one trait that's giving us the most concern at the moment. Because mm -hmm. I can see the good has, and the bad in that. <laughs> yeah, if he, yeah, I just thought that it was a thing because all of my family members have got high pain thresholds. <laughs> um, but it's a Phil McDermott thing. If he contracts COVID, he's got no way of telling us because he's nonverbal. Yeah. And yeah. he will also he will also I guess put up with feeling yucky for a lot longer than the average person 
So we've got a lot of concerns in, in that area at the moment. But he's a, he's a happy chappy. He loves his iPad. He loves his cookies. He loves his water. He loves his eager piggle. You know, for, for the most part, he's a really happy kid. Mm. Yeah, look, anyway. it's uh, – <laughs> no, he is. he's very lovely. I, I know him. He's very lovely. And he, he likes his kisses and cuddles. So that, that's another thing. Yes. Much like Dr. Raven. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like my kisses and cuddles too. Yeah, just not from me, even though I keep asking. But anyway, unfortunately, he... my daughter's worked that out, so yeah. she now withholds those. Yes. Well, you know, so it's important to uh, keep things under control. Um, so I guess some of the other things I wanted to discuss. Um, so Rob, back to your um, brother. Um, I know, uh, reading through your. Um, information, I guess, or profile on, on the Parliament website, you, you have a, a strong, um, you're strongly in favour of organ donation and things like that. Um, is is the, I guess for me, when I read that, I, I think, oh, okay, that's after the time has sort of come. It's it's not, it's not really addressing the the issues of the syndrome. It's It's more, you know, well, this has happened. We can't do anything necessarily about that maybe you should consider donating your organs. Um, is there something that needs to be done? And I know you said they were doing some ex some early tests and, and testing the basketballs, but is there more stuff that can be done? What, what is it that's preventing more stuff being done for, for people with syndromes like your brother? Um, I think the main thing that's not being done is money into genetic research across the yeah. board. I'm really interested in finding out off Margaret how many kids are like Nicholas. There's a group called Rare Voices Australia. Yep. Which is a group that um, we meet with and that some of the most gorgeous people in the world for the work that they do and the, you know, just pushing and pushing to get genetic testing and research done. The, the main thing is getting the research there. And it's not just a case of going out and saying, well, here's a, you know, half a million grant for the next 12 months. It's about getting the consistency in that. And it's something that I've pushed very hard that we need to have consistent research funding because it's it's that old, you know, prevention's better than cure sort of thing. Yeah. I think the That's, I, 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 I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I, I'm always fascinated by... So the, the last thing I heard you say was about the consistency of... You know, um, of 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 having research funding, right? Um, and it's not just a matter of funding. Um, you know, research, whatever. He's a one-off brand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's 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 a big lump of money, um, and it needs to be consistent. So I've always wondered about that at a government level. I'm a you know I'm I'm scientifically trained, engineering trained. I'm a very big. I've done research myself. You know, I've, I've, I've got, a, got a research degree myself. Um, so I'm a very big fan of research. Not only, obviously, I'm biased, but I'm also, um, I also realise how important it is not only to do research on things that are medical to help people get a better quality of life and maybe even one day save my own life, but also to do research in terms of, you know, things like, uh, you know, data science, um, engineering, uh, technology, all this other research. So my big question, having someone from the government on, is to, is to ask, why is Hold on, research... hold on. Not from the government, well, from the parliament. <laughs> sorry, from the parliament, okay? You're thinking okay. after the next election. Keep going. Um, oh, really? Really? Just really? get on with it. So I think you're trying your luck there. Sure, but, get on uh, all right, but my, my, my question is, um, why is research um, at, a, at, a, at a government level, why is it so poorly funded? I, I just don't understand. We harp on about, you know, and I'm going to say it again, I do it every podcast, we harp on about how gold many medals. gold medals we can win at the Olympics, right? But we never harp on about how many cancer cures we can you know, research and set up and save and how many people have been saved by X number of dollars of research. We never harp on about these things. Why is this the case? Did you just answer I think it's, it I think it's not the, it's not the, certainly not the priority of the government. If you 
go through a pandemic and you support big business with JobKeeper and you don't put money into um, any of the universities unless they're a private university to maintain uh, staffing and and the quality of, of education, then it's going to have a knock-on effect. So, I mean, I mean, I agree that we need to put money into uh, genetic but, but, testing and genetic researching, but take a step back. We actually need the people to do the research. We need people in university and we need to make the courses financially accessible for them. But th- th- um, this explains a whole bunch of things. It, tell, it, it, it potentially tells me why, but it, well, it, it, it tells me what is happening, but it doesn't explain the why. Why? Because that's happening? not where the votes are. <laughs> that's not where the votes are. People right. that are university educated um, are going to think critically and are going to vote for a party that supports the development of critical thinking. I asked a question knowing the answer. So, so the further question then, if that's not where the votes are, um, is our society truly democratic? Well, hold on. Ignore that part. Go back to Rob. Is that where the votes are? <laughs> Look, it's the reason we're not seeing is that I guess it, it depends on what's the core values of the people that are in, in the government at the time. And I think quite often we hear about how the two major parties are both the same. But in areas like this, there is a chasm between us and the other major party. And then you have the, the smattering of small parties around as well that also um, cross the political spectrum. The other thing that I think is a real issue is people don't, they don't notice this until it affects them. And they don't see that. They don't know that there's a whole set of wheels that turn inside, you know, scientific factories trying to learn and develop cures and tests and all that because they they can't see it. Well, most people don't even understand. Most people don't even understand science. I mean, most yeah. most most people, you know, most people uh, have have absolutely zero understanding of any of this. They they. You know, they, they'll pick up and they'll use their mobile phone and you see them yelling, you, you see them talking to each other, talking to their talking to their mates in, in on, on public transport when we used to be able to take yes, public yes. transport. You know, <laughs> you see them yell, yelling and screaming, completely ignoring everyone else on, on, on the on, on the transport. Or um, the microphone talk, that's talking their to their phone. mates about talking to their mates about the the, the latest inane, inane thing without understanding, without understanding the amount of science and research and everything else that's gone into the phone that they're actually, you know, using. I was oh, there's, say, a, there's, a, there's a great little meme going around at the moment which says that the people that six months ago couldn't cope with their with their grade six kids' maths homework and now all of a sudden infectious disease experts. Yeah. <laughs> the, the internet has given people access to a flood of information, but unless they can critically think and also admit that their thinking changes through information, um, it, it, it's, it's no good. And I think that a lot of these riots that we've had in, in Melbourne I think that they are a great example of a whole bunch of people that are unwilling to step back and say, we've got experts in our society that we pay to research, you know, infectious diseases or genetic diseases. Let's trust their opinion. Imagine if you go to a construction site and said, I don't like the way that's built. They wouldn't be happy. With your Sorry, audio, Pete. Audio, Pete. Yeah, what? yeah. Jump in, Pete. Personal experience with um, red genetic uh, disorders. How, has that changed or, or uh, informed you in the way you teach? Like, has it affected um, uh, some of the topics and things that you've taught your students? Have you have you introduced the, these uh, into your teaching? Put put it that way. Um, okay. So uh, for. Oh, probably close to 20 years, I was an IT humanities teacher in schools and I went back and I retrained as a teacher librarian. I did. So so now a lot of what I do is, is teaching kids how to research and teaching kids how to critically think. So I'm very upfront with the fact that I have a 10-year-old child with a disability and that, that it has affected 
my life or the trajectory of my life where I thought that it would go. Um, and I do talk to kids a lot about, you know, what that means for me, but also, I guess, you know, getting back to what, you know, Dr. Raven was saying about uh, science, we, we talk about, you know, what sort of developments are happening and also the ethics of it as well. The ethics of it come into it. We've got um, a lot of research that's happening in terms of shank three around the world, which is the one protein that affects my son. If he had shank three, then he would probably be talking. He'd probably be toilet trained um, and he's not. Um, but um, the ethics comes into it. We've got Shank 3 Island in China where they've actually bred a whole lot of monkeys without oh, yeah. Shank 3 for the express purpose of doing uh, genetic treatments on them to see whether they can make an impact on people with Shank 3 deletion. But then a lot of the research that's happening in the Western world in America, in the UK, in Europe, it's all about taking orphan products and seeing if they make any sort of difference, but no long-term impact. Um, certainly, I mean, I, I tend to, um, and audio, I tend to like stick my head into the science faculty and say, how are you teaching genetics? Do you want me to come in and have a bit of a chat about it from a parent point of view? Um, I also find that the way in which I deal with students and their learning difficulties is very different to staff members who are not affected by disability in their life. I tend to be a lot more empathetic. I tend to be looking for solutions. How can we support? Uh, the school in which I work at, we actually have an assistant that, that comes in and supports us, supports us in the library two days a week and she's intellectually impaired. And the way in which I manage her is very different to the way the last person managed her. And I think it's because we've got Nicholas at home and we've had to make so many adjustments and uh, and we look at things differently. We do. I hope I've answered your question. <laughs> that's, no, that's, that's good. Yeah, because I, I think that every personal experience that we have, I'm going to ask Rob the same sort of question, uh, how it, how it colours your work and your approach and your focus. So, yeah, I would ask Rob the same thing. With his, I've been reading your first speech to um, Parliament, I think it was, and where you, you mentioned your brother. All those years ago. Yes. <laughs> um, how, how, how does it affect your approach to your work, Rob, uh, with your personal experience? I, look, I think, to be really honest, I think it, it makes me just think a little bit more about, and, and this is why we push so hard on the NDIS, mm. for what it was supposed to be, it's mm -hmm. not quite the same prob um, program that it is now, but that's a, a different conversation. But yes, yes. <laughs> I guess it, it, it just broadens your thinking and makes you realise that there are a lot of things that just go on in the world that you don't see. So, sorry, Rob, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, oh. Can you explain to our listeners oh, what the NDIS of, is? Yeah, what the NDIS <laughs> is, because a lot of them are in, in, international. Um, and it, it may shock some of our US listeners. <laughs> yes, well, I did a cybersecurity thing in the US, and universal healthcare was a very foreign concept in the States. Mm. But what we did here in Australia under Prime Minister Gillard was build a national disability insurance scheme. And what this was was to support families with disabilities and people with disabilities to help them have a better quality of life and get access to services and equipment and the likes. Now, I generally try not to say disability. I say differing ability because wow. we've got some great people that come and volunteer in my office that um, are on NDIS, but they are just amazing at the, the ability they can work through numbers or whatever, just a whole range of things. So I think we've got to continue and the NDIS, the theory beyond the NDIS was to make people more active and give them more opportunities um, to be part of the, you know, the, the the mainstream world and job opportunities and all those sort of things that 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 can happen. Now it's not it's not one box fits all, mm. but it was supposed to be designed around the needs of the person um, that requires the support. Political uh, governments change priorities change and I think we're dealing with the shadow of what we started with but it was the only time I think that I've ever been able to go to an election 
and say to people, I'm going to make you pay more tax <laughs> so that we can fund this. And the people responded with a resounding yes. Why was that? Because I think the Australian ethos is about, should be about helping each other and supporting each other. And I think when people saw that this taxation was going to go to be helping um, people and families, they were more than happy to do it. And I think now we look back and it's a bit of a disappointment to see where it's at. And it's going to be a continuing struggle to try and turn that ship around and get it back to what it was originally designed for. Is that a ship so, or a submarine? <laughs> so hang on. So, so, sorry, Margaret, you were about to say something. Yeah. Um, Nicholas was, I think, five or six when the NDIS came in and we transitioned from the old system to the new system. And I think this is what a lot of people don't understand is that, um, yes, there was an a, additional tax and an additional amount of money being paid out from a federal level, but all of the other organisations that used to supply services and equipment were dissolved. So, for example... Uh, when Nicholas had to get his first stability suit, so he needs a stability suit because he, he's very floppy and he's very uneven on his feet and this basically allows him to walk without falling over and sit still. Um, we got um, a letter from the occupational therapist and a letter from the paediatrician and we then went, then went to the statewide equipment provision SWEP and said, he needs this. We waited for six to nine months. We got the approval. We got the suit. Okay, that sounds... It's pretty straightforward. There was a bit of a wait, but we got it. When NDIS came in, we fought for a year in order for the NDIS to release funds for his stability suit. We had to get a report from a NDIS occupational therapist, so not the one that he'd been seeing for years and years. We had to get a special one. Um, and then and my husband literally spent the whole day screaming on the phone to try and get them to release funds that they had promised that they would release. So I think from a philosophical point of view, putting um, funding someone with a disability and giving them the funds to be able to make decisions on what they need and when they need it sounds absolutely great. But the levels of bureaucracy that have been put in place to make it a lot harder for people to access the funds is ridiculous. So before the NDIS, we got uh, funding, um, early autism onset funding we did um, through uh, one organisation. We got our equipment from another organisation and then we could access community organisations to provide respite. When NDIS came in, all of that got bundled into one and then we had to independently do all the research and connect with all the people, which is fine. My husband and I are university educated. We coped with that. Mm. But people that have got English as a second language, I can imagine that they are finding it very, very hard, that they wouldn't be able to navigate it as easily as what we would. Um, and, I'd love to see the NDIS people, the people actually uh, having the interviews with the disability community, I'd love to see them actually properly trained because some of the questions that we've been asked in our interviews are just you know, it's pretty obvious that the person hasn't briefed up on what Nicholas's conditions are and they're asking stupid questions. They really are. <laughs> so, so, hold on, hold on, I hear Rob. Rob? The changes that went through in the EPIA, because remember, it was an, an, a national disability insurance scheme. With being an NDIS and insurance scheme, it was set to be there all the time. The following government changed that. We now have an NDIA that does that. And I agree wholeheartedly with Margaret. We've actually had the NDIA people saying, do you think that child X will grow out of Down syndrome? What the hell? Now, it's fair to say that my, well, you might know I'm, I'm very blunt with people usually. Yeah. And they were probably a little bit upset with the profanities that I use, but it was just like, you have to be kidding so who asked that? Who who? So, so uh, we we need to be very very clear. Who was it that asked that question? This is the NDIA, the insurance yeah, agency. So right, this is the person that comes out, and this is and I. Are they like an assessor? Is that what? That's... Well, they do these. The, the NDIA sits above the NDI. Uh, the NDIA manages the NDIS. Yep. So you when you when you ring up and you speak to um 
the NDIS, you get your your local coordinator. And then when we had trouble getting access to equipment that we'd been approved for, my husband literally had to keep on bumping up until he got someone in the NDIA, which is the governing body of it. So, so hang on. So we need we need to understand the structure. The NDIA sits it's at the above. top. Right. And, and manages the insurance scheme. Right. But is the NDIA a government body? I believe so, yeah. Right. So how can – so this is – and, and here, here lies the problem, right? <laughs> how can you get – and, and I'm asking you this question, Rob. How can you get a government body that would go and ask this question of whether a child is going to grow out of Down syndrome. Now, there's one of a few possibilities, right? Either either it's on a form and they're just following the form mm. and, it's a, and it's a tick and flick, right? So they're just ticking a box and it's being asked because it's on a form. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that the person asking it is just completely stupid, right? <laughs> And that their yeah, boss I'd vote for that one. Right. And that their boss potentially and the gov and, and, and the and the layer of government above that is governing that is just completely stupid. Now, if these if 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 we ignore the idea that it may be the form, and it may actually be the second one where the person or the government or the body or the agency or the whatever, the group you no, no you put whatever word you want. Yes, if, yes. If, if if it's if it's that that group is completely stupid, why is there not a law that outlaws the stupidity of people? Right. And I and I know and I and I'm hang on a sec, hang on a sec. I'm yes. speaking. Okay. So I know I know that everyone's laughing at that, and I know that we're all having a bit of a joke, but I'm actually not having a joke. <laughs> I'm no, not, we know, that's I'm, why I'm, I'm laughing because I know you're not. I'm actually, being, I'm actually being very serious. If if it's a box on a form that you can tick and flick, fix the form because that's a stupid question, right? But if it's not on the form and the person's being stupid or the body or the agency or whatever, then you know what? You, that that agency or that person needs to be sacked. Sorry, right, hold on. You shut up and let that, Rob address the question. Hold but on, hold I, guess on, Rob, that, I guess that goes back oh. to, to two different people. Okay. One is the person that can imagine what it's like for someone who's got a disability and trust that what they're commenting about is truthful. And the other one is like, well, I haven't experienced that. Therefore, it should be okay for you to go down a set of stairs in your wheelchair. So, you know, there's two no, different no, but, people but, but, in our but society. There's a, but, there's a, but there's a difference. There's a difference. I, I am lucky enough that I have not had any direct experience with any person that has a disability. And when I say I'm lucky, it's it, I, I'm, I'm talking about because I can only imagine how that must affect and change your life, right? Um, so I'm not saying it's uh, I'm lucky because... Just get on with it, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm lucky from that perspective. However, my lack of experience in, in, in dealing with disabled people or someone with a disability... Yeah, it doesn't my, make you ask a stupid question. My yes. lack of experience does not mean that I'm going to go and ask someone why or, or, or whether or not their Down syndrome is going to be cured in a year because I have a brain and I read books and I'm an intelligent person. So experience has got nothing to do with it. All right, take a breath. Let Rob let Rob answer that question. Is it <laughs> – what would you say? What's, what's the uh... – what's now, the you verdict? can say stupid people sure, whether they can. should vote or not is very contentious just be quiet rob i think if you're assuming that those two questions are both mutually exclusive they're not yeah okay <laughs> the you have a lot of untrained people people that don't have lived experience or don't have a real good understanding um and that's not really their fault they've just been employed to do a job they get paid you know, very minimal wage, they get given forms to fill out and they go and they don't understand what it's like. And the biggest problem I find is people think it's a box. You find that peg, the square peg to put in the square hole. Mm. It's, you can't do that. It's, it's, there's just so many different nuances and variations on different things and what makes people tick and how they can work better. I mean, we were dealing with people that had a, um, 
a teenage child who'd like to escape. They lived on a, a property um, and the kid loved water. Now, it mm. took 12 months to get door locks. Wow. Imagine coming home every night and thinking, oh, my gosh, is my, you know, my son going to be there when I get home? Now, that's one thing. It's a simple thing to get door locks that were put up so that, that the parents could get in and out, but um, mm. the child couldn't. But mm. Then when you, you know, you, you get people that live, that have to travel 150 kilometres to get their child's speech therapy, like it's, mm. you know, or the one that I recall, a, a nine-year-old child in a four-year-old's wheelchair. Five years for the wait. Now, this yeah, is But just, why is that? I don't understand. Well, it's because it went from what it was supposed to be to being something that, you know, if you look at everything through an economic prism, yeah. you're going to sit there and look at the dollars over people. And it's it's not about, I mean, yes, it's about the dollars, but it's not your highest priority. Your highest priority is to try and make people be more active in the society, give people better opportunities at life and just give them the basics of what they need to actually make their life comfortable. And But when you sit there and look at the, try and run it down to be able to almost run a profit and loss on it, it's not going to work. It's healthcare. It's not... Yeah, it's not a business. Yeah. It's not a business. That's right. And that's... And I'm trying very, very hard... Well, I can hear. <laughs> to point it, you know, throw a political barb in there, but I can assure you it, this is not how we intended it to be. So I'll, I'll give you a free shot. If, if your particular party... <laughs> Uh, gets in Why power. Why can't we mention the party? Oh, we can. The Labor Party. If the Labor Party gets into power at the next election, do, what are the what are the plans? What are the, what's the approach? And I'm not. Uh, this is not policy on the run. Like, is there anything in place that actually is like things that the the party has said they're going to do? Medi Medicare and NDIS are both two things that we built, we wanted, and we cherish. And we are never ever going to let them get depleted. And yep. There is not a caucus meeting we have that the issues with what's happening with the NDI is not being raised, and never, ever, ever in the time I've been in politics have I heard one Labor person speak negatively about the NDIS and what we need to do. It's part of our core values, and that's why it's something that we'll get in and we'll be doing an entire rethink of how it goes and how it works so that we can... And at the top uh, of the... If you need a consultant, I know please engage one. the disability community <laughs> with that as well and listen well, that, to their voices. Yeah, and that's what we did. I, I mean, I don't know how many forums I had at the development of this where I'd go and sit in a cafe with 10, 12 people and say, what is it? What do we need this thing to do? It's a great concept. Let's have an insurance scheme to help people um, get better lives. But what do we need to do? What are the, what's what's the roadblocks? And that's where we found this, you know, speech pathology for 150 Ks away. Yeah. Not getting access, I mean, not even getting access to ramps on houses and that. That was then getting left to the councils, which it's not their cool business. Like, there was just a whole range of things. And the, the basic thing was that, you know, at the time people were thinking in previous governments that it was just too, too hard. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I'm, hold on, Margaret had her hand up. You shush. I was going to say, one of the other biggest changes that we noticed when we moved from um, before to after the NDIS is speech therapy sessions that were costing us $160 and $170 all of a sudden went up to over 200 <sighs> And services that we would normally be able to get access to, say, for example, we were seeing an occupational therapist and we'd say, can you write a report? And they'd go, yeah, no problem. All of a sudden now they could charge for writing that report. So, you know, we would love the freedom to be able to see an OT or a speech therapist that isn't necessarily qualified by NDIS and I don't think that it should matter if we're in the scheme or not. Um, the, the price of things exploded. It really did explode. So, for example, my son... Uh, wanted a not he didn't want because he can't talk we wanted to get a disability <laughs> bike for him so that we would have an option of doing a different recreational activity with him so your disability bike is three and a half grand special order so we'd have to apply we'd have to wait until we got um the um the approval we'd have to get three quotes da 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 so Three and why, a half grand. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. We found a second-hand bike for 500 bucks. 
that we picked yeah. up, but we couldn't claim that against the NDIS. We couldn't get NDIS to pay for that. So, so no. I'm in, I'm intrigued by that. Why why did the why after the NDIS did or did the costs that you experienced increase? A lot of therapists would argue that the amount of paperwork that they had to do to support an NDIS client skyrocketed. And I know a number of speech therapists and occupational therapists who basically said, we're not touching NDIS people because it's too much paperwork. Right. So too many hoops. Now, I can't talk on behalf of therapists. I can only talk on behalf of a parent who one week was charged, I think it was $160 or $170 for speech therapy. And then when he went on to NDIS, we were being, being charged $240 for that same mm. session. Plus additional reports and all of that sort of thing. So, Because um, I, I, often, I, I often feel, uh, and I don't have any evidence of this, but I often feel that a lot of the, a lot of the providers will increase their prices after some scheme just as a matter of course, just because they can. To cash well, count. Well, we had, we had a, a document that gets released every year by the NDIS or the NDIA, which states the maximum amount that someone can charge for a service, okay? Mm -hmm. So the, the top threshold for charging for a service, which basically means that everyone charges the top amount. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, my son's support worker, you know, earns a pretty penny when she takes him out for a ride on his bike. Yeah. You know, right. earns more than what I would earn as a teacher. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. See, all mm. of that is, oh, I, I find it all interesting. And I know we sort of started off with this conversation with more money for research and we've gone into healthcare and it's all very, very linked, right? Research, healthcare, education, yeah, multiple more money, areas. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's all linked. I, I want to declare um, that I'm not a Labor voter. And when. We can't uh, all be perfect. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Right. You so say you're married for Collingwood. I'm hanging out. No, he doesn't probably, like support, uh, the only one. I'm probably the only one in this group that's not a Labor voter, I would suspect. You right? don't know about Margaret. I, no. I, I, I honestly haven't decided. I'm going to see what policies are out there and I'm going to vote for the candidates that. Um, and what I would say is. I'm a is, swinging voter, uh, sorry. What I would say is when the NDIS was proposed, it, it's really the only. Thing that Julia Gillard, the, our then Prime Minister, that's um, the only thing that she put on the table that I thought was absolutely right. Um, and it's and and I've always said it. And Mike the Lama, you've heard me say this many many times. The two things I don't mind paying for as a taxpayer are health education, and, education. Yeah. and healthcare, right? Because those are the two things that will bring bring a person. And, and elevate them to a point where they can really, really do great things. Right? The, the so, question is not whether they're the, they're the things you support, they're how high up your list of things that you support are they? Well, they and, are. They're, and they're if they the really two. are a priority, you'd they be voting the, they for Labor. The <laughs> they are the top two. No, that's what I'm saying, right? They, they are the top two, quickly, quickly followed by things like research, um, research into you know me medicine and, and 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 other things and knowing um, you cloaks and coffee hold on i want to get one more thing from uh, from rob before we finish up so rob no, but hang on i didn't finish making my point no, that's the, fine I, but you, I, you talk I, you talk well, and it never let ends finish. you let me finish my point before oh, you start blathering just hurry up okay? get on. all right the, the, I, I wanted to say i just wanted to say whenever i feel that that labor is either in government or, or vying for government, I That's always all the feel, time. Yes. Yeah, I always feel that um, they approach things from a wealth distribution perspective. I always feel they, and and certainly uh, Bill Shorten, you know, I feel tried to do this. That's because you're worried about them taking your money. Well, I, I again, I work hard for what I have, and I've always worked hard. I, I don't, I've never ever gotten a single thing from the government in Baby terms bonus. of the Okay, ignore that. Yeah. Keep going. I'm, I'm just saying, I, I work hard and I'm quite proud for doing so and, and I don't want my wealth redistributed. But having said that, I, again, I understand that tax is necessary and I don't mind paying for things like NDIS, you know, properly, properly set up, people's education, research. What I do mind paying for are people winning gold medals at the Olympics. Very good. Thank you right? for that. Just press mute on your thing for a minute. Rob, how would you like to quickly respond to that as we finish? Because you can swear. <laughs> that's fine. Look, I think it just 
It's about I I often use the, the, the term it's about the needy, not the greedy. And I earn good money and a lot of my friends earn good money, but what we were trying to do was make sure that the best way you build up a society is not leave people behind. And the more you can help keep people up and give them opportunities, the better. Absolutely agree. Education and health are always our two of our top priorities. Hmm. Education unlocks the power of knowledge and unlocks the ability for you to be able to build a better life. But I will just pick up, I don't like the term, I work hard for my money. That insinuates that people on low incomes don't work hard. Now, there are Correct. many people that work extremely hard as um, in milk bars or takeaways or, or lawn mowing and that, but they're never going to earn $200,000. So, we, you know, we can't leave them behind. But certainly, well, at, at, mean, the day, at, at the end of the day... You and I both go and buy two litres of milk. It costs us $3.40. Someone earning $30,000 a year still pays the same price, but it's a bigger impact to them being on a lower income than it is for a higher income. So if you can afford to contribute more because you're affording, you're getting more so that you help other people and you, you keep people going up and keep them growing and building a better society, what what's wrong with that? Like you know, Jerry Harvey got thirteen billion dollars in taxpayer money, a million dollars in taxpayer money that he did not need. Mm. He can afford to spend more than what you and I had earned a year on a horse. We don't need to do yeah, but that. that. But that's a that's a completely different that's a completely different problem. And 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 I understand that you know that he, I mean again that's that that was. That has arisen out of bad, terrible, terrible government policy. When I say when I say um, I work hard for my money, I'm not trying to, um, in, even though it may sound that way, I'm not trying to imply that people don't work, other people don't work hard for their money. Of course, everyone works hard, and yeah, everyone that's should. How it, that's how it comes across, though. Okay, and you need it, to be aware of that. It may okay. It may come across as that. Um, I apologise if it does. I don't sort of. I don't really tend to imply that. What I'm trying to get to is to say, well, we're not all equal in our abilities, and some people are not going to be able to do the engineering that I do, and some people are going to, I don't, I don't know, do whatever they need to do to to make their life happen. Um, having said that, I mean, I don't. I don't know if I don't know if I'm completely comfortable with the idea that I should be paying for someone else just simply because they have different abilities and they're not the same as my abilities, which is what it always sounds like to me. At the only proviso I would put onto that statement is to say that I'm happy to pay for someone's education and I'm happy to pay for someone's to, to, for someone to make sure they have the right medical needs, the, 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 the right medical care taken care of, because those two things are the things that are going to bring the person up, right? But I'm not happy to pay for a so lot of So you don't agree things. with a universal income at all? Um, I agree. Well, that, that's that's an interesting argument. I agree with the universal income if I can also get the universal income. And it doesn't matter whether I've got a million dollars or whether I've got one dollar. I agree with the universal income as long as I... I am treated fairly under that universal income. See, that, that, there's the, the, the problem with the politics we have is that I'm treated differently because I earn better money. And, and, and you know what? I didn't earn better money through magic. It just didn't happen. I studied hard. I, I, I come from immigrant, an immigrant family. I studied hard. I worked hard. And, and, I, and that's how I earned the better money. There's a lot of people that, don't study hard and that don't work hard and they earn worse money for that reason. And I Hold don't on, you necessarily... put in, There's an assumption you put in there that they don't study hard. You even said no, that no, just No, no, but there are... I mean, clear, no, I'm not assuming that a particular group of people don't study hard. I'm not making that assumption. I'm saying that there are people out there who don't work hard. It's a, no, that's, it's a, that's fine. But hold on. If you're, tr if you're truly wanting to be equivalent in, in your attempts to build a position, you should be saying no. there are people who work just as hard as me who don't make don't as much money as, as me. Yes. You don't need to say about people not working hard. You're, you're, every time you bring this up in, in every podcast we do, even in conversations, you you belittle the other person by suggesting that you work harder than them. 
No, I no, I'm no, but you, okay. No, but no, hold on. I'm telling you that you do. You don't need to argue. I'm actually telling you that's what you do. So All if you right. really want to base the argument, you say there's people who don't earn as much as me, but they work just as hard. And you know what? There's probably people out there who make hardly any money compared to you who work a lot friggin' harder just because you're sitting at your computer all day doesn't mean you're working hard a lot more and do hardly anything and at all. so and so rob do you have a response to that that we can conclude this podcast <laughs> many people in many wealthy positions that do not work hard mm-hmm. i see that's true of people that, that have a big variance and i think about my father who worked in the herald sun for 45 years as a printer, they worked extremely hard in terrible conditions, mm. but they never—they were never going to earn two, three hundred thousand dollars. That's just not how the world works. I've got a niece that's an, a theatre nurse and a nephew, one of the ones with Marfans, who's working in COVID wards at the moment, ferrying patients around. They don't get paid a lot of money, but they work extremely hard. And that's sad. I, 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 I think we're never, that's terrible. We can't I, I, pay, you know, it's just a reality. People will not earn the same money. And how we value things is about making sure, I, I think, that we just don't leave people behind. And we need to make sure that it doesn't matter if you're the most wealthiest person in Australia or the poorest person in Australia, you should be able to live a decent life. And the more you can give people an opportunity to build up their, their self-respect and their dignity, the better off they are. Because that's always an underlying thing with people. When they get unemployed, they feel unvalued or, and then they lose their dignity and it's a hard thing to get back. And that gets into the mental health situation, which is another thing. The other thing I will just quickly say is yes. we talked about organ donation before. Yes, I yes. actually firmly believe that we should have an opt-out process. Yep, I agree. I'm never going to win that argument in a parliament, but I firmly, firmly believe that we should is have that, an opt-out. That mm, that's an interesting one. In, unless... Opt out. Sorry, say that again, Peter. Is that where everyone's assumed to be a donor unless yep. they specifically say otherwise? Which yep. I think, yeah, I'd agree with that as well. You can go in and say, I have religious issues, I have um, medical issues, or personal reasons why I don't want to do this. But until then, we should look at that opportunity, take that opportunity, and then you make the conscious decision not to, because mm. organ. Organ donation is very, very difficult as it is. Mm. And I hate to think of how many times. Like, I know my brother would have loved to have been an organ donor, but because he passed away not in hospital, he couldn't. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know? well I, I'm an organ donor. Yeah, I know. Right. But, but apparently my mother can veto it. Oh. Yeah. A family well, member can veto it. Which is strange because she'd probably, you know, enjoy one of your kidneys or something. Maybe <laughs> I don't know, but but I've told I've told her I'm an organ donor. If something happens to me, I'm happy for them to take whatever they need. And she said, "Well, I don't agree with that, so I'm going to veto it." She said, "Over my dead body? No, all right." And uh, and apparently that's part of the the process. If I end up brain dead in hospital before they turn the the machine off, um, my parents for some reason, not my husband, but my parents can veto it. So I think that's an issue as well. A group yeah, of us will that's, come and that's steal pretty Margaret ridiculous. if that helps. Let's, let's, um, I reckon that's worth exploring another day. It is, it is. All right, look, I, I do I do think we should finish there. I want to thank Margaret. Thank you very much, Margaret, for all that. I know it's, it's good to get some of this out of the system and, and, and talk to uh, <laughs> talk to people, so that's, that's good. Uh, and Rob, thank you. Rob Mitchell, that was very thank you, informative. Thank you. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, it no, would be very, remiss very of me to say. Very good discussion. <laughs> It would be remiss of me to say good luck at the next election. Thank you. To not say that, um, whenever that may be, correct. Um, I'll say it differently. No, you won't. You'll say say nothing at all. All right, Audio Pete, thank you very much. No worries, thank you. All right, thank you, everyone. I'm going to end this right now. Hey, hey, what about the thank you to me? Well, you know. (laughs) You were you were here as well. <laughs> yes, thank you, Doctor Raven. We'll, we'll see you next. Uh, look, week. I, I I have to say I enjoyed that discussion, and um, you know, thank you to both our our guests. I think uh, there, there was some I know there was some disagreement there at the end. It, it 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 does make me think that I may say things in a certain way, so I've got to keep that in check. Um, but yeah, lots of really good discussion, and I thank you both for being here. Thank you.
you. All right. We'll see you all in the next podcast. Blue.